Welcome back to another Vox Vox episode. Jesse and I are back from our Madrid holiday where we forgot to record live. <laughs> yeah. It was a great start. We dropped the ball on that one. We did, we did, we did. And Jesse wasn't even drinking that day. No, I wasn't. Mainly because I was hungover. But <laughs> do, we, do we want to say what happened the night before? <laughs> yeah, I think we should. Goss to goss. A goss to goss intro. Goss to goss intro. Um, how do we go about this? I don't even. Uh, we went to we went up to a bar place, a gay bar place, and basically the entirety of Atletico Madrid and <laughs> came in, and a few other players from La Real, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we were just there having a good time, and then out of nowhere, Jenny and also just walks in, and we're like, "Oh, okay." So it's gonna be that kind of night. Um, so we partied technically with yeah with Atleti players before the night before Real Madrid Barca. So that was to clarify, it's a, a great holiday. All of these footballers had played their matches, so it yes. was fine that they were out and about. It wasn't <laughs> anyone who shouldn't have been. No, for it was night. after. Yes. Um. So yeah, well deserved night up for everyone involved, including us. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. It was it amusing. Was, it was quite fun. But obviously, let's get right into it because we went to Madrid for one reason. <laughs> and, one reason and it was, was to it. go out with Jenny Hermoso. <laughs> so we yes. succeeded. <laughs> it was completely planned. Everything was planned. Barça take El Clásico bragging rights amongst other things, perhaps. Um, frustrating match from Real Madrid. Didn't really play the best football. Goals were scrappy as well from Barca, so it wasn't an overall kind of solid win and, and good loss for Real Madrid. Jesse, do you want to have a quick review as to how we felt in the stadium? My quick review would be that it was not solely it was not worth going solely to Madrid for this match. So the night out before it was definitely worth it. Yeah, I had a wonderful time. Lovely holiday. Lovely. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, this game wasn't great. I've got to be honest. I think I kind of went in thinking that Barcelona will probably win quite comfortably. But I wanted to at least get to see Barcelona play the Barcelona way in inverted commas and like enjoy that. But to be honest, they didn't. They weren't great because they didn't need to be, I think. To be fair, I, I, I thought it was going to be a... I, my prediction for the game was 2-3. Everyone that I spoke to from a Barcelona perspective was like, was either one, we're going to lose the game. Two, we're going to win, but it's going to be hell. So like everyone's kind of thought process around that was like, Madrid should... I mean, considering the build-up to this game and how everything has been going. Madrid have been pushing Barcelona for a really long time now. So it's like, you get that feeling of like, any day now Madrid's going to beat Barcelona, but then you get this match and you're just like, okay, maybe the gap is still there and, and it's not going to happen anytime soon. But I was expecting, again, my prediction was 2-3. I thought Barcelona were going to win, but it wasn't. It was going to be very scrappy, kind of close scoreline, not a 0-4 match like that happened. And, and the way that it happened to it wasn't necessarily the greatest. First half was better than second half. We can agree on that. Yeah, I think obviously the way Real Madrid conceded that first goal so early on, which was basically just Real Madrid being slow to kind of... That AMC goal was so slow. Thinking the ball was going to run out of play, 
JC chased it down, credit to her, won the ball back. Um, and then everyone was just totally out of position for it. And there were a couple of moments like that where it just felt like Real Madrid hadn't switched on at all to like who they were playing. You know, like we know that this Barcelona team, I think especially now JC is in it, are going to like run and run at you and really press from the front and put you under pressure. And you can't dawdle in those moments. And that I think was so disappointing about Real Madrid in this game because it's one thing to be opened up by an amazing Barcelona passing move. It's another thing to basically hand goals to Barcelona because you're not switched on enough. And, you know, I don't know if it's like the pressure of the match or the feeling that you're playing Barcelona, you're worrying about this stuff more, but sometimes just you can just hoof the ball up the other end. Like you don't have to try and like get your body in the way to like let it roll out because then you get like mistakes like this happen where JC suddenly is like on you and you didn't realise how how quick she was going to be or, or things yeah. like that. I think that's what was like annoying early on. Yeah, that's fair. I think Gaze also has to, we have to say that she, I think she had a really good match for that sense that she just wouldn't, she didn't stop and she took advantage of Real Madrid kind of sleeping on that. And I, the, the only thing that I will say about JC is that they don't give her the ball into space as much as I would, as I would like Barca to. She was making a lot of good runs in between the center of defenders, and she just never got the ball there. Um, there was a few times she might have gotten her on the wing, but overall she just made a lot of good runs and nobody was really using it, which is understandable because Barca is Barca, but I would like to have seen that a bit more. But also, I don't know what you think. I think Claudia Pina didn't get into the game at all. No, and I think everything that good that happened for Real Madrid was kind of around Claudia Pina and I don't know if this was necessarily her fault but the way Barcelona were pressing was kind of in this almost like a 4-4-2 where JC and AMC were like a front two and we've seen Barcelona kind of play that split striker thing earlier on the season and then have Claudia Pina like tucking in and obviously I think that's kind of understandable because Real Madrid's I think lots of Real Madrid's exciting players obviously do play in that you know midfield area, so I can see why you'd want to look for overloads there, particularly to stop the balls going into them. But it meant that when Real Madrid looked at their best, it was definitely because they were able to kind of quickly play the ball out along their right-hand side. And I think if Mappi Leon hadn't had such a good game, you know, like kind of defending that area... Um, and Fidelina Rolfo as well, to be fair. Yeah, there was some sprints that Fidelina just came out of nowhere. And I'm just like, holy shit, the legs on these girls. Just... <laughs> yeah, they could have got a lot. They could have got a lot more, I think, out of it though. And I think it was an interesting blueprint, maybe for teams who are going to be a bit more switched on, not make these errors to Barcelona about how you can get around the way they want to press because it is very top heavy, right? Like. You see, if you if you get those like two first two or three passes together, you suddenly are like you're against Barcelona's back four because they really like yeah push They're, like six players Ma- up the pitch. Mbappe and Eden are basically on the halfway line for the entire match. Yeah, so I think that was like a positive. Well, maybe a negative for Barcelona, <laughs> a positive for Real Madrid. Not that anything came of it. But, like, I thought, for example, Esther Gonzalez just had a really, really poor game. And she was, like, hooked after 49 minutes, so... She was not in the... I thought Mappi needed it marked off quite well. Mappi was winning all the aerial duels. Um, Caroline, we were also very quiet. She wasn't able to kind of play off of players as, as much as she probably would like to. And that, I think that is because Barca backline is so high that she doesn't have time to receive the ball turn and then play out in, like, the other side of the pitch, if that makes sense. But also... AMC, not a bad match. 
I will have to. I didn't start AMC in my lineup. It wasn't the greatest, but I, I would. I think have you saw it. the only thing I would just say is I think you saw the difference in how energetic Barca could be when Salma came on. Yes, and I feel like watching that, I was like. I would be starting Salma ahead of AMC at this point. Salma is huge in person. She makes Lucy Barnes look short. <laughs> yeah, she's... Did you see that? You you could understand she's a sprinter. Like, when yes. you see her in real life, yes. you're like, oh, yes. okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yes. run 400 metres or whatever she is she runs. Yeah. I had Salma in my starting lineup before the match, just because of that energetic high press, especially if she's, she's going to play against, um, play next to Jason, and potentially on the same side as Rolfo, she can definitely cover back. Um, a bit better but also we do I think we do have to kind of commentate on how the second half got very feisty and the reasons <laughs> behind that perhaps um, I I think the one comment that I do want to say is that Real Madrid fans were chanting in favor of Villa and in favor of you're going like we're going to the World Cup obviously with the whole national team and the very obvious division between Barca and Real Madrid that extra feistiness was there in the second half. And I think that's where the game kind of collapsed a bit more, where it just became, I mean, to be fair, Barca just didn't stop. They wanted to score as many goals as they could. Uh, Claudia Pina was animating, Jonah was animating. Like they just wanted to keep going for as long as possible. But in the second half, it was more, yeah, about kind of that dominating goal scoring rather than playing as good football as you possibly could because it kept getting cut off a lot. I don't know what you thought, Jesse, about the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Patry's goal, like that came from a corner, and Robert Drake was so bad at corners. All Lucy day. Bronze was open at the second post for every Everyone. single corner Everyone. throughout the entire match, and I don't understand that. It's a simple fix. You see, and Lucy not Bronze. only that, not only that, Barcelona scored last week with that exact same corner routine, but with Patry doing that exact yeah. thing. That's like Ingrid Engen's first goal right against Levante so it's like if you watch Barcelona's last game you're like this is the corner routine that they want to do but then what was hilarious was the first time they didn't do it I literally said to Susie who was sitting next to me I was like oh my god they keep doing the same corner routine and Lucy Bronze is getting a free header every single time I was like how is no one like twigging this and then the set literally after I said that then Mappy did a different one and it just like went all the way through and Patrick had time to take the touch and shoot from inside the six-yard box. It made no sense. That Lucy Bronze thing just made no sense. She was free. Why Why would you leave any player free at the second post in the corners? Why would you leave Lucy Bronze free in your second post in the corner? How do you not twig that? Like, And to it- do it once is like, okay, whatever. But like five times, why is there no one on the Real Madrid sideline? It's consecutive. Every single what's going kick. on. Lucy Brown will make the, she would start from the same exact position, make the same exact run and end up in the same position, second post free. Free header every time. None of them really resulted <laughs> in anything because for different reasons. I don't know, what, I don't know how Lucy Brown didn't manage to get any of those headers. There was, the I think, I think there was one where she got into dangerous, dangerous area and it kind of, but it went a bit too high, but the other ones were just too high and she was just like flopping like a fish out of water kind of, kind of headers everywhere. But that really, that kind of sums up how, out of the game Madrid were in terms of kind of figuring out what actually worked for them and what didn't. Um, they just could I just could didn't think they solved any problems throughout the match and they just kind of stayed static and then got their heads kind of heated throughout the match and just lost it from that. I mean I think 
a zero four to Barca it was a fair result to be honest. Yeah, I think it was a fair result. Um, like as I say, I don't think Barcelona had to look particularly good, but I think definitely the stuff that went on with the fans did fire them up. There was obviously this beef between Atada and Misa, and I think the whole thing around it, which just makes me feel like shitty about it, is these players shouldn't have to be going through all this bad blood yeah. between them. Like, yeah. I understand if people are angry at the Real Madrid players for not kind of coming out against Vilda, but at the same time... if They shouldn't have to decide. You shouldn't have to decide. And if their clubs ask them not to, they're also in a tricky position there because if you go against you go against your national team, get chucked out of the national team, and then your club could, like, chuck yeah. you out as well, right? So, you know, these are people in their mid-20s. Like, how, how are you making that decision? And then kind of to see it all act out. And it's like the Real Madrid fans, again, it's just like, grow up. Yeah. This this shouldn't be a tribalism type thing. This should be like that it's ridiculous that the Spanish Federation are basically ruining the relationships between players, players' careers, and just over like defending Wilder. It goes back to the same thing. It's intoxicating what should be a very it sounds cliche, but which should be a very beautiful rivalry between these two teams. Yeah. That are some of the best players in Spain, some of the best player, some of the best known players in the world. You have, you know, it's a Caroline Ware versus a Kira Wash midfield is supposed to be very exciting on a footballistic level. It's not supposed to be, you know, you can pay attention to that, but you can't really do anything outside of that because of, of what's happening. And it's kind of intoxicating what should be, you know, a growing rivalry in the women's game that's now being stained by a rivalry of the national team and nationalism and all that Spanish kind of drama behind everything and now you have individual players you know publicly having to to deal with having a road that they can't have privately if that makes sense but it's just yeah it's just what I don't like about it is that it's staining what's supposed to be a very very good match and rivalry and amazing football that's in the women's game that obviously is is quite new still yeah, it's it's a real like it's really frustrating, I think, to see it all get kind of wrapped up in that. And obviously it'd be ridiculous to say that, you know, politics doesn't come into Real Madrid versus Barcelona, because of course that's like where a lot of that rivalry comes from. But, you know, to have it then tied up with well, I mean, I guess maybe it is the perfect encapsulation of how, you know, Real Madrid being tied up with Spanish institutions and then Barcelona <laughs> being against it. But that's for that's for a box to box history episode. <laughs> Box to box, goss, goss to goss, <laughs> and then now box box history. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of... Uh... <laughs> Lots of it <laughs> Yeah, basically. Uh, let's come back to England. Manchester United won Chelsea 3. This was obviously during and after the Madrid match that Jesse was walking with their phone <laughs> watching this match as, as most concentrating as they could, I guess. The, that, the only thing I will say about um, the benefit of the... Real Madrid-Barcelona game being boring was it was like there was no because before I was like oh my god if there's a really exciting last kind of five minutes and they overlap I'm gonna be like ah where do I look but I was like oh this is fine like I can just put this match on and like we can get rolling yes well you watched the first half more than I did what do you think yeah I mean I think the first half was generally pretty even I've kind of been surprised by how negative some of the United fans' reactions to this game has been, given that they kept it at nil-nil for 
for 60 minutes. And I think generally... Well, I mean, the first Chelsea goal is a relief. So that says everything that you need to know about it. Right, exactly. And like, I know some people might say, well, Chelsea didn't necessarily look at their best either. But you can only kind of play what's in front of you. I think the only frustration if from a United perspective, maybe in that first half, is that they didn't force the question more. But... I also think Chelsea, and I think this is something that is becoming a bit of a theme with Chelsea's play across the season, is, although actually they're still conceding quite a lot of goals, um, but there's a bit of a safety first approach to it, rather than going and being a bit more gung-ho, like maybe we've seen in the past. And I think that's kind of like, watching this game, I felt that it was impressive that Chelsea were... They didn't seem worried, even though I personally felt worried, but they didn't seem worried about forcing the question, you know, when it came to attacking. It felt like there was a sense that the opportunity would come and the goals would come, and and obviously yeah. they did. So I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of testament to, to Chelsea's control. I think there were two kind of interesting things from how they set up. Firstly, Chelsea switched Buchanan and Bright, finally, which I think was the right thing to do. I Yes. I think everyone knew that was the right thing to do with Buchanan, just feeling a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I don't know what you like make of it, because obviously we used to watch Millie Bright play as the left side of centre-back at England quite a lot. And I think we'd all agree we didn't really see the best of Millie Bright. But do you feel like now that maybe she's gone to a level where she can be as good playing in? Because also it's like quasi like left-sided in a back four slash rotating round to be the central centre back and a back three. Yeah. Like it's not just a pure flat back four. That's I think I think that benefits her more because it's again it's you know you're switching between formations and if she's able to drop back and be that sweeper centre back behind Buchanan and Mia Erickson, I think that just Mia Erickson. Shout out to Mia Erickson. Uh Magda Mia Erickson always turning up at <laughs> left back for Chelsea. We love to see it. Love it as as a centre back. Um behind Magda Erickson I think that I think we know that role suits her really well uh, to be that that sweeper and kind of obviously with her aerial strength that could do really well but I think despite really bright I think the benefits that you get from Kadisha Buchanan being the right is just a lot for Chelsea I think it, that that weighs more and Millie Bright is able to do a lot of stuff but I think the benefits that Kadisha Buchanan being comfortable and actually being able to show the quality that she has, I think it's going to be just way more beneficial for Chelsea more than anything else. Literally in the first minute of this game, you get like Kadisha Buchanan like stepping out of the back with the ball and actually doing something good with it for once rather than you losing it. Yeah. So I, it was like, it felt like, oh, again, you can't like boil the performance down to that one moment, but it was kind of like, okay, like this is a player who seems already a lot more comfortable from the just world. Just that one go. tiny switch. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was quite interesting was how Chelsea, I guess, very similar shape, actually, to what we saw Barcelona do against Real Madrid, but having Wrighton coming in narrow again to deal with Manchester United's midfield. But Kerr came out a lot wider than JC did in, in the Barcelona example, which didn't always work. And I think the difference was when Kerr was crossing the ball, it was, there was no one there. It did then work for the second goal because she pulls the ball back to Lauren James. That's where the second goal comes from. So I thought that was interesting. I did an interview with Sam Lewis, who wrote the piece about all of Sam Kerr's goals ever, and that's coming out of London is Blue next week. But like we had quite an interesting discussion about 
Kerr growing up playing as a winger. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that it's easy to forget that that's part of Kerr's game. It's like, you wouldn't play her as a winger now. She wouldn't be no. an elite winger, but it's something that she has done and knows how she to do. She has that so. intelligence of that vision that she has. I mean, that's what makes her more than just a striker and in position. I mean, surely with, when you have Neil Harder, Sam Kerr, and Norton James on the pitch, you're definitely going to be rotating between positions. So perhaps once Chelsea kind of get that nailed down very thoroughly, that's going to be very dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah, and, and you know, the fact that there's no Frank Kirby right now. Let's not talk about that, please. <laughs> scared now. <laughs> Let's talk about United. Not the best game. But I, I do have to say that I'm happy to see Alessio Russo back. But obviously, I was expecting a lot more fire from Elatuna and Alessio Russo in this match, if I'm being honest. United playing themselves into trouble, as per, Jesse? Yeah, obviously, just the pass out for the first goal. But I will say, Aaron Cuthbert then did the exact same thing about 10 minutes later. So I, I don't think you can... It goes down to the quality of players being able to finish play. Well, yeah, I think that's one thing that's really positive for United, that I think two seasons ago, if they'd got that chance, you wouldn't necessarily bank on them to finish it. And they did, and that allowed them to put loads of pressure on for Chelsea in the last 10 minutes. Well, four, 10 minutes after that, and then Skinner's strange substitutions kind of put paid to that. But I think the 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 thing is, the reason why it's frustrating for United fans, obviously, is it plays into a longer-term narrative, which is especially against Chelsea, United do seem to make a lot of these kind of errors. So whilst for Chelsea, the Aaron Cuthbert one is annoying, it feels like a one-off. Whereas I guess for United, you look at it at this broader pattern. Lauren James, I think we do have to talk about that. That Lauren James-Samker duo is, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I probably should, if I'm being honest. But Lauren James, I mean, we all knew that Lauren James was going to be quality when she was fully back fit. And I think she's been absolutely amazing. But how do you think, looking at the dynamic of girl coming in, Sam Kerr going out, P coming in, and then potentially when Frank Kirby comes in, is Lauren Jones going to be consistently like this throughout the entire season? I think if she carries on playing like this, and I think, you know, the benefit that obviously Chelsea have is that they don't, there's almost like less pressure on her because, I mean, there will be pressure now because she's setting the expectations quite high. But if Chelsea want to, if Chelsea want to rest her for a couple of games, it's not a big deal. Like if she has a period of like worse form, like there are players to come in. Like there's Canaroid as well, who I think has had a good start to the season. And yeah, I think that's what's exciting. It just feels like, again, Chelsea have added another player who can create something out of nothing. And now you're like talking about five or six players who could do that really. And that's almost like, again, I'm not saying Chelsea play like Barcelona, but that's kind of what Barcelona have as they. Is that what you're saying, Jesse? <laughs> that Chelsea play like Barcelona. <laughs> but what I think like is over overlooked about Barcelona and that squad is not only do they obviously play very well and play well as a team, but there are so many players in that squad who you give them one moment on the edge of the box and they're going to create like it's yeah. like the chance the quality of the chances a Barcelona player on the edge of the box gets are like. They don't need to be as high because of how elite those players are. And I feel like that's kind of what Chelsea have begun to create as well. Like, it doesn't matter if Sam Kerr doesn't do something amazing because Benilla Harder can do something amazing or Lauren James can or et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's what's hopefully, as the season goes on, going to be a real benefit to Chelsea because no team plays amazingly every game 
of the season. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to look at a, a Barcelona or a Lyon at the peak of their powers and, and feel like that because we watch their Champions League semi-final or final games. And you're like, wow, this team must always be great. No, like that team is still like ground out shitty wins because that's just sometimes the way football goes. And I think, you know, that's something that it feels like Chelsea have kind of continued to expand over those past couple of years. No, it's definitely true. Again, it is quite scary, especially because a lot of players are in form at the moment. You know, Gura in doesn't necessarily score a lot, but she's getting a ridiculous amount of assists and she's involved in a lot of the build-up play. Erin Cuthbert is just being Erin Cuthbert, as usual. Um, I think she's settled into that kind of pivot role really, really well for Chelsea. And it's you're getting the benefits of it already. But Manchester United, obviously, with this loss, got knocked out of the top of the, of the table, which is not something I thought we would be saying. Uh, Mark Skinner, maybe a few strange subs. Can Man United stay in that top three under Mark Skinner? I think they can, but I think the what I worry for them now is like they have to play Arsenal and City before Christmas. Yeah. And if they were to lo- have lost Chelsea to Chelsea, Arsenal and City, then I think there would be genuine frustration. Especially that City one being the direct rivals. I think Chelsea Arsenal are still going to be a bit on top of them, but that City man like United match is direct rivalry for that third spot, basically. Yeah, and I think if they can get kind of four to six points from those games, or at least like at least one win, but four would be amazing. Like if they could draw against Arsenal and beat City. Yeah. Then I think you're like, well, that's a lot of improvement. And I do think like Chelsea have always been the team United are worst against. Like, they have got wins against Arsenal. They've got draws against Arsenal. They have thrown away wins against Man City. That's a different frustration. But again, like, aside from the original Casey Stoney, Leah Golton draw at the start of Mm. two seasons ago, Chelsea have kind of always had the better of United because they just love to score against them. Here's a better question. Casey Stoney was obviously at the match. Yeah. Would United be better off if Casey Stoney would have stayed? Yes, I think so. I think there's two reasons. One, I do think Casey Stoney is a better manager than Mark Skinner. That doesn't mean Mark Skinner's a bad manager. No, 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 definitely. But what Casey Stoney has done with San Diego is just stupid. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is too, is that United basically did two seasons of building in the WSL and then had to start from scratch. Now, I don't I don't feel much sympathy for them because they fucked up with Casey Stoney. <laughs> like, yes. this wasn't Casey Stoney fucking off because she felt like she got a better offer. She, I mean, maybe she overplayed it, but I don't think she did. She felt like the club didn't give her enough support. If yeah. They managed to recruit one of the most exciting young managers in the country and didn't give her everything to persuade her to stay like that's dumb that's your own like talent assessment being flawed because san diego obviously came and said we're gonna offer you x y like why don't you come and do this the other thing is the way that laura james celebrated that goal it was cold that was very cold kissing the chelsea badge at lewis sports village i love it that was cold i mean i think we all know that i love a very controversial celebration as caroline weir did against man city that was really good from Lauren James. And I think that says a lot about the club and how they support the players, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I think I will also say that Chelsea is Lauren James's childhood club. So, and I always yeah. think 
footballers are like overly sensitive about like you know when they're like oh I won't celebrate I'm like no sorry like I know you spent a couple of years at Manchester United but Chelsea's your like it's not just a club you signed you this is like the club you've always wanted to play for your family are like the face of Chelsea Football Club for the next 10 years at this point yeah that is what the James family represents to Chelsea Football Club so yeah but yeah I love it and I think also maybe I think it's great because I think, you know, United fans were booing her, which, as we've said before, they're well within the rights to do so. Yeah. And then she can come back and give it all that. Score the goal, kiss the badge, tell them to fuck off. Like, that's what Love we want. drama. Win-win, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's absolutely amazing. I just, I found it so funny. But I do, it is a bit of a shit. The potential that Man United had that when they ran that third spot close under Casey Stoney, it was supposed to be the next season was when they were supposed to get it. And obviously Casey's only left and now you have all this talent and I what I'm most curious about is to see how many players stay after the end of the season how many top players stay Alessio Russo Alatoun Onabatye all these players that have could probably and will probably get better offers I am curious to see how many of them stay that I think is a concern I don't think you get a feeling at United right now that they're like Building something. I mean, Shaki Grunin left. Oh my god, I don't care about Shaki Grunin. <laughs> like, Shaki Grunin. I'm not, I'm not United got because... so much money no. for her and she's like fine. Like, that's all it is. She's fine. She's old. They got 150,000 years. My point her. is that she got a better offer and she left yeah. so quickly. But I think, like, an older player like that, I don't think that's as deep. I think there's yeah. more concern that, like, Alessio I think Alessio Russo would be a, a big one, yeah, yeah, to go. Because you should be convincing should. her that she's going to win. You should be able to be convincing her that in five years she's going to be like competing to win the Champions League with United. A club that unite, like with United money, global brands, that's what they should be able to convince their players. Because yeah. there's no reason like they couldn't spend to do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I think I think she has to leave. I don't think That's she has me. to leave. That's a bit I strong. <laughs> well, no, it's, I think I think, I think she could. A, I think it, I think it's dependent on where Man United finish. Yeah, because if, if you're not playing Champions League, there's yes. no reason for That's a player fair. like Alessio Russo to to stay there. It's the same no with the, the City girls, right? It's yeah. exactly the same thing. If you if you believe you can't compete at the tail end of the Champions League with Manchester City as they are in the past couple of seasons. Then of course, like you yeah. should, yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, next game. Let's talk quickly just about this West Ham four, Brighton five madness because I can't not mention it because I'm obsessed with how ridiculous this game was. <laughs> um, I didn't watch it live obviously because we were in Madrid, but I was just getting notifications on my phone. And that the notifications that everyone was getting at the same time was just really funny. And the best bit was the the Vivian Asai 85th and 86th minute goal where I thought Fotmob had like broken and just sent me the same notification twice because I was like I couldn't it's like, like no, it's chaos it hadn't come up on Twitter yet and I was like I was like oh my god it's five three oh now it's five four and then I was like wait no like no one else is talking about this I was like no fop mob chat fop mob ahead of the game and correct I apologize for disparaging you <laughs> fop mob but yeah this chaos. was just chaos yeah so have you did you watch any of the highlights yeah it's such bad defending yes <laughs> Well, I mean, we when you're when you're talking about West Ham and Brighton, we've talked about it so many times about how messy they're defending it. So when you get both teams, both of them together, 
<laughs> you get nine goals. Yeah, just, I mean, my conclusion would be that for both, well, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I shouldn't be so positive about West Ham because some of their underlying numbers are actually really quite bad at this point. But I just think the fact that they carry on scoring goals means I'm not worried about them. I think with the play- I think with the players that have in their squad, I think we're okay to be able to kind of continue to have some kind of hope for them. With Brighton, I guess the only good thing is that yes, that um they've also now got players who are scoring goals, you know, for Dan Carter to get to. The only thing I will say is with Mackenzie Arnold injured, Sophie Hilliard's come in and played and she had a good game against Arsenal, but she used up all her good gameness against Arsenal because I don't think it's even harsh for me to say that she was actually at fault for all five of these goals. Mm. And I think with someone else in goal, West Ham probably don't concede. Yeah, even it, it goes a long way. Yeah. Especially when your defence isn't the most solid either. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to Leicester nil, Arsenal 4. There was a bit of a coup that went on midweek at Leicester. Um, what, what do you make of this suddenly getting rid of Lydia Bedford and just putting Willie Kirk in because you found him hanging around your front office? I was obviously busy in Madrid um, having fun with Jenny Bosso <laughs> to have um, to have thoughts on this as much. It, it, was, it was just, I think the most bizarre thing was the fact that Lydia came out with these comments saying that she was confident with the support of the club and then literally within two hours after that it was announced that she was leaving and Willie Kirk was coming in. And it's understandable that Leicester want a new manager, I think, because of they've not been able to play out to the potential. But at the same time, is really Kirk the right person to do that? Because I think that I'm not saying whether Kirk is a bad manager, not at all. But I think it depends on how much support he's actually going to get from the club. Because if Leicester are just not going to give, if they're going to give the same support that they've been giving this entire season, not bring in much money, you know, have these kind of deal with the players that you're, you're stuck with in a sense there's only so much you can do so no matter what manager you come in it's going to be very limited but I'm curious to see what happens I just don't really see Leicester being able to turn around as much I think now the main thing is just not getting relegated and kind of fighting for that and getting as many points as possible but I don't know how much it's actually going to change but it's just very the way it went down to just sack Lydia after her being so confident and already have a manager in place was just very bizarre. Yeah, and I think what I thought was weird is that if you looked at Leicester's underlying numbers, they were pretty good. Mm. Not not amazing, obviously. I'm not saying they, they should even be in the top half, but like this wasn't a team who was like adrift. This was a team who you'd logically think would pick up some points against a Reading, a Brighton, etc. as the season went on. And they're only three points behind everyone else anyway so it only takes one win to turn these things around and yeah I agree I don't look at this Leicester side and think they're badly managed in fact if anything their underlying numbers suggest they were fairly well managed I look at this Leicester side and think well who the fuck is going to do anything for you because like no offense to those players but I'm just like none of those players are at a level where you're like they would get into they would get those opportunities and and win a match yeah top of the box finish Exactly. So, and then, yeah, I, again, obviously didn't watch, like, the full game of this, but it just felt like this was so, this was such an easy win for Arsenal. Um, I'm not saying Willie Kirk should have come in and, 
immediately fixed everything. But again, I'm just like, what do you mean? Isn't that what managers are supposed to do, Jesse? Yeah, I, I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't get, I don't get why. I don't know whether they thought, you know, I saw some people suggest maybe that Brighton would have wanted Willie Kirk. And so they were like, well, we've got to give Willie Kirk the job now. But if that was the case, and you always wanted to give Willie Kirk the job, like make the change in the summer. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. But more injury worries for Jonas Eidebell. Lena Hurtig going off injured. Jordan Love's pulling out the England squad. Are you freaking out? More about Jordan than Lena. Because I think with Kim out, Jordan needs to be that starting midfielder in the eight role. To be fair, I mean, if Jordan's injured, you have Mane Wabuchi. Fine. But the way that they played, the way that Arsenal have been playing with Frida, period, is already good. Put Jordan into that mix, even better. The, ener- the energy that Jordan and, and Frida have injected into this Arsenal squad has, I think, has been quite big and has been quite useful for the entire squad. And if you take Jordan out of the equation, Ma- I think I think Mana's energy is going to be... I think Mana's a mix of Kim and Jordan in terms of energy. I don't know why. But... I'm I am a bit annoyed about the Jordan. I hope that the international break kind of absorbs most of the time that she's going to be out and she is able to come back to the United game, but again, no information. <laughs> I think this will just be a precautionary thing. I, I would hope so. I just said don't worry about it. To so be good fair, to like Lena Lena's injury is just a hamstring strain, so that's a, a week or two of of nothing and I think this international break has come at perfect timing for Lena and Jordan that the fact that it would absorb most of the, the, the time out so I am hopeful that Jordan and Lena are going to be back for the United game but at the same time again I'm more worried about Jordan not being a starter than, than Lena at this point but I don't know I'm, I don't want to think about it too much either because I get stressed. <laughs> Who are you playing for the United game if Lena and Jordan are out? Do you just you just have to, I guess. Well, I mean, Lena, Lena. I think Lena was on the bench for. If you make me choose between Caitlin, Stina, Beth, I think Lena's gonna be on the bench. Yeah. But also, are you bringing Viv back in for this game if she's coming no. back from no back refresh? No, no Viv. No Viv. No. I I don't think she hasn't had the consistent amount of minutes to be able to start this game strong. I think. I mean, to be fair, it can go either way. It could be Viv has come back from rest and she has one of the best games of her life because, I mean, that happens to a lot of players where you don't play for a long time, you come back in the squad and you just feel good. Yeah. And you have a really good game. And that could happen easily. But if we're kind of thinking about it hard and you're telling me whether to pick between Frida Man and Viv, I mean, again, if Frida has to drop down to the eight and you put Viv as a 10, that could work as well. But it just depends on Viv's kind of energy levels at that point. I wouldn't mind that with Frida and Viv, but if you're asking Frida or Viv, Frida all the way for this match. No doubt about that. All right, there we go. I'm really, really looking forward to that game. I just hope United don't have a meltdown around losing to Chelsea because I think they could get at Arsenal, especially with the injury stuff. Um, I think I think through the midfield, yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't know. I... Mm, I think especially unless you were still with Lata, I think that could be very interesting. Yeah. And they've got a whole week to play against each other in England camp as well. So that'll yeah. be fun. 
But let's just quickly touch on the France chaos going on, obsessed with this league at the moment. Um, basically, PSG were 2-1 up against... Well, they went 1-0 down to Montpellier, got it back to 2-1, and you're thinking, OK, this is going like normal. No, Celeste Barrile gets a 87th minute equaliser, and you're thinking, oh my God, PSG have totally, like, they've just, they're fucked in the league. Until Leon go and draw with bottom of the table, pointless, Guangomp, nil-nil. These sides are bad. Where are all the people that are saying that Leon are dominated the French League? I wanted to see them come out, please. <laughs> it, yeah. it, just so you know how much pisses me off. Yeah. I think this season, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that Leon or PSG are going to win the league unless I'm looking at the league table now. Paris FC still on Paris FC. FC. Paris FC is currently four points behind Lyon and two points behind PSG. Is this the season that somebody else wins the league? No, I think Lyon will probably win the league. But it's just, I guess it's, it's you know, part of, I get, it's why you get frustrated, right? It's just so important that even if we're not watching, because you just can't watch everything every week, right? Yeah. But like, but also, do you want just impossible to watch also? Yeah, but like I guess just all always it's like these leagues are more complex and more interesting than it might seem if you just look at the league table at the end of the season. And that's why I just thought these games were both so fun, like to see I mean Montpellier are obviously a good team, so maybe it's not super surprising yeah. that PSG dropped points to them. But yeah, it's a it was giving me, you know, Birmingham City beating Arsenal vibes with Grand Gomp and Leon and I wanna give yes. Grand Gomp their flowers because what a great point to get. I yes I I mean obviously Leon started with a bit of a diluted squad um considering you're playing bottom of the bottom of the table which is understandable but at the same time you're still playing Cascarino Amadi Madrid Daniel Van der Dan, Promoni Wendy Renard Janice came in Vanessa Jules Cristiano and in goal like it's it's not again it's a Leon squad is never going to be a weak squad and if you're playing against a bottom of the table team you're still expecting a Cascarino, a Signe Bruno, Amadino Reed. Whereas Amadino needs outside of the box shot. She only does that against Barcelona. So basically, Barcelona are worse than Guangong. That's what we're taking away from them. If you're going to the logic <laughs> that we've been applying for the last two episodes, then technically. Yes. And to be fair, then Chelsea are worse than Guangong and Barcelona. Exactly. So. so all together, basically. <laughs> uh, but then going like, on the PSG, again, you're starting Roman, Bachman, Diani, and Sandy Baltimore as your top three. I mean, Montpellier are a better team than Gong but it's just, I find it so interesting. And I do want to start watching a lot of matches, just get wrap my head around it, why Leon and PSG are just fucking everything up, despite still having majority of their squad from last season and adding in a lot of players and grant injuries, et cetera, et cetera, use whatever excuse you want, but these teams should not be playing as as, as they have been for the entirety of the season so far. Yeah, and I think we genuinely could see all French teams out of the Champions League, you know? Like, it just doesn't doesn't feel inconceivable. I think the only saving grace for Leon right now is that Juventus are also totally <laughs> shit. Yes. Um, they, they lost the Supercoppa on penalties at the weekend uh, to Roma, and again, just not a league I have enough time to watch, but that's very strange, kind of what's gone down there with Joe Montemuro. Um Yeah. Just Very basically that club's 
going in a very strange direction, which yeah <laughs> might help Leon out in the Champions League. Uh, but international break time now. Alex, what are you excited for? Again, I haven't I haven't really had time to think about anything. Oh, I will tell I'm, you what. I'm being going so on. honest. Go on, England, tell me. England are playing Norway and Japan. Both yes. games sound very very boring. I think what I'm excited for is the the Germany USA double header. I am excited about that. To be fair, I do know about that one. Um, there's obviously no point watching Spain because who knows who the fuck's playing for Spain at the moment for obvious reasons. Uh, and Australia Sweden, I think, will be fun. But is that on at four a.m. UK time? So yeah, see, I'll, I'll 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 try to watch the replay, but knowing myself, I probably won't do that. Um, USA Germany's on at quite a good UK yes, time. Yes, it is. That is true. Yeah, I did see that one. I, I'll we'll definitely watch that one, but. England call-ups. Uh, Jesse, what are your thoughts on Gabby George, Maya Letizia? I'm excited about Maya Letizia. Uh, Katie Robson, Jess Park. Obviously, Jess Park came in for, for Jordan, didn't she? I know, Jess Park came in for France, so okay. she was the OG. Uh, uh, MLT and Katie Robinson obviously got caught up in the normal squad. Jess Park yeah. came in for France. Gabby George came in for Jordan slash... Um, who was the other player who dropped out? Lauren Hepp. Yes. Which was a, a very rogue decision, but congrats to Gabby George. I think that's cool. Do you think that Serena's going to rotate a lot more against Norway in Japan? I think, well, she's kind of going to have to, I think, because there's definitely a bit of a strange selection of players floating around. It will be really interesting to see who gets used outside on that left side, I think. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe potentially a Chloe Kelly on the left, Beth Mead on the right kind of situation, or Beth Mead on the left, Lauren James on the right. But there's a lot of vacancy in that number 10 position as well. Yeah. So I guess obviously Elitude is there. But no Fran, no Jordan, uh, who could play there or could play at the eight. So yeah, I think it'll be, it, maybe that, I hope we see some rotation because yeah, like Norway and Japan are neither like team fill me with much interest. So yeah. I'd like to see some chances for these players but I also think Serena Vigman likes to call players up to get them used to senior camp before using them and I think that's probably what we'll see MLT and Katie Robertson doing Jess Park might have a better shout just because she did the previous one so that's true definitely something to keep a to keep an eye on I always think it's very hard when you've got a competition winning squad and then you're trying to kind of develop them for the next yeah. one because especially with injuries to but I guess what will be interesting is this will be another camp obviously Alessia Russo missed out so we'll maybe get to see more of Alessia Russo as this kind of first choice number nine which is the only big change that I think we're going to see to the England squad ahead of the World Cup Alessia and Tooney with what they're supposed to be doing at United (laughs) yeah exactly exactly basically Uh, shall we anything else you want to comment on no no I think that pretty much wraps everything up yeah obviously a bit of a different episode because we were in Madrid for the weekend so we didn't watch anywhere near as much stuff as we normally did no but um but we did party with Jenny and Morrison so and and that was probably as good as no no the beautiful WSL is always better than party with Jenny Hermoso but it was fun you know Jenny uh, the WSL's on every week and Jenny Hermoso isn't in the gay clubs of Madrid every week we believe I mean we don't live there so actually maybe she is Maybe this was a totally normal thing to have happened. Uh, everyone, I do want to say that I want to become best friends with Mary Van Dogen. I think she's really cool. Uh, yeah, she did seem quite cool and sweet. 
Yes. Okay, that's it. I just wanted to throw out a comment in Goss to Goss episode. All right. Um, but we will be, we'll take a break next week. Uh, no WCL, no club, obviously international break. Unless something really dramatic happens, I thought we're going to be doing a podcast for England, Norway, or England, Japan. <laughs> but obviously next WSL weekend that is here, Arsenal United at the Emirates, Chelsea versus Spurs at Stamford Bridge, which Jesse and I will be going to together. And we will... Shall we try this time to record on site? Let's just not promise anything. Okay, we're not promising anything. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and obviously, at the end of the month, on the 24th? 23rd? 23rd, 24th. 23rd, 24th is Champions League. Finally. I'm very excited. Um, so we'll be back. Big WSL weekend and then Champions League after that. So quite a busy, busy, but good end of the month. So... We'll see you guys in the next episode and thank you for listening.